Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Wednesday, November 25th, 2020. On today's episode, we're going to discuss what we've been up to at the water cooler. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Soretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Managing Editor Jacob Hall. Hello, hello. Weekend Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. Senior Writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And Writer Squadron Billy. Hey, everyone. And Chris Evangelista. Hello. Okay, uh, let's jump right into it and talk about uh, what we've been doing. It's actually been a couple weeks since I've been on this uh, the water cooler. Uh, last week I had a lot of stuff going on. It was my birthday, and I uh, went uh, didn't really do much actually. <laughs> uh, Kitra got me a a cake made by her friend Christina, which was in it was shaped like a a black kyber crystal, which was the the thing that I was after on ordinary adventures like i every time we went to disneyland we'd we'd open up a red kyber crystal it was like a very hard thing to find anyways hard to explain if you don't if you haven't been following that uh i we also had a big week in terms of uh, uh what we were doing at ordinary adventures and um just uh, a lot of stuff going on um here in southern california so uh last week uh i stepped foot inside a Disneyland park for the first time in over eight months because they expanded downtown Disney into Buena Vista street. Uh, that's the, the main area. Like it's what main street is for Disneyland. It's it's that in Disney California adventure. And they actually opened that up and actually much more goes over all the way into Hollywood land and to Grizzly peak. Um, all the way down to Cars Land, and basically you can go in there, eat food, buy merch. You can basically do anything but go on rides, and uh, there's no characters. Uh, we did a video on that. It was amazing to be back in the park. It did, it, it, uh, you know, right before this happened, California, uh, or at least a lot of the districts in California, went into the purple tier, which I'm, I'm not sure if, if people outside of California even understand what the tier thing is. But basically, the purple tier is b- bad. It's bad, bad, bad. And uh, what that means is more restrictions and stuff. And 
I think they were hoping to open this to a larger capacity than they did. But when we were in there, it was like empty. It really felt like there was like a few hundred people. And, and by a few hundred people, that sounds like a lot, but it, it was a really large area. Um, so if you want to check out that video, that's on Ordinary Adventures. But I, I got to have a corn dog, corn dog for the first time in, you know, eight months. And uh, I don't know. It was, it was just... Uh, it was fun to be in there. I, I met a lot of uh, slash film readers, listeners, and uh, ordinary adventure fans, uh, and it was yeah, it was a blast. It, it's interesting though, because of the place where, because of where California is in this whole pandemic, um, Disney California Adventure usually sells alcohol, but it's interesting because you can't just buy alcohol; like you have to buy food with it so like i can't just go and buy a beer i have to buy a corn dog and if i buy a corn dog i can buy two beers with the corn does that make sense so it's, it's, it's really uh like i guess a way of skirting the the regulations i don't even know what the regulations That's are how but... it is in New York too. like you can't buy drinks without buying food yeah it's so so weird i, I guess i'm used to Knott's Berry Farm has been having these food events, and there you can just go up to a place and buy beer. But I'm guessing that's because I've already paid the fifty dollars or like the forty dollars to get in there, which includes my food and do you know what I mean? Like it's a combination. So I'm guessing that's how they skirt that issue. Um, but yeah, it, it's it, we live in very strange times, and uh, also. Knott's Taste of Mary Farm opened on Friday. That's where I was, uh, go, where I went on Friday, and this is um, another one of their food festival events. I'll talk a bit, a, a little bit about this later and what we've been eating because there's some interesting food. But um, they they decorated the whole theme park with lights, and it it's really yeah starting to feel a lot like Christmas. I know it's not Thanksgiving yet. Um, but, uh, they have this like magical tree lighting ceremony at night where like the, the, they play, uh, I think it's a song from the movie toys, the Robin Williams. Toys. I don't know. I'm going to, I'm going to have to look up the song because it's a really magical song and I, I now want to put it on my playlist. Um, but, and they light up the whole park at once and it's, it's just like this really, uh, magical time. And I think most of the dates for that are sold out. Uh, but I we had a blast and I'd highly recommend if you're in Southern California and you feel if you personally feel that you are safe enough to go to an event like this where everybody's wearing their masks and everybody is social distancing. Uh, I highly recommend it. It was it was a lot of fun and they had a lot of food and we're going back for more because we didn't get to eat all of it. So <laughs> you can watch uh, both of those videos on Ordinary Adventures. Uh, I'll put a link in the show notes. Uh Chris, what have you been up to? Uh, it's it's Thanksgiving week, and every Thanksgiving time, not every, but you know, I haven't been doing this my entire life, but for the last few years, I've been doing this thing where I uh, quote-unquote adopt a turkey from Farm Sanctuary. Uh, I won't go too long on this because I know everyone is immediately rolling their eyes and being like, God, what a dipshit. But uh, I'm <laughs> I'm a vegetarian, and you know, I don't eat meat, and so it's it's 25 bucks, and it, you know, it's it, they have like a whole flock, whatever you want to call it, a whole bunch of turkeys over there at, at this farm <laughs> sanctuary. And you, for 25 bucks, you know, you sponsor them for the year and it helps you know, with food and shelter and all that stuff. So, you know, I know no most people do not care about this and I'm not trying to judge anyone who still 
eats meat, you know, whatever, that's fine. But if you like me, uh, do not <laughs> eat meat and you want to do something, uh, ceremonial for the holiday, here's something you can do. Uh, I, you know, there's a link and everything. So that's all I got. Thank you. I like to imagine that like right outside in your backyard is like 10 turkeys from yes. every year that you've been. I wish just hanging out out there. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's move on to what we've been watching. I'll start first. I, I surprisingly don't have a ton of stuff to talk about here, but uh, I watched Lego Star Wars, the holiday special. I know Brad talked about this last week. Um, so I won't go long on it, but um, I haven't really watched any of the Lego Star Wars stuff or played many of the Lego Star Wars games. So I, I'm, I'm coming at this um, from a point of view of I'm a Star Wars fan who usually doesn't like when like, you know, I wasn't as a, a big fan of like the the Family Guy Star Wars stuff and that that detour show that was going to come out looked stupid to me. I, I, I typically don't like my Star Wars with comedy, if that makes sense. Um you know, there was like this uh, stupid show in uh, Hollywood studios and in, in Disney World where the Star Wars characters get up there and dance and stuff. Totally stupid. I totally hate it. Um, but I did give Lego Star Wars the holiday special a chance and I loved it. Uh, this The concept of this was so fun. Um, you know, I almost don't want to ruin it, but like r- really it's set, it's set after the events of the the sequel trilogy but we get the characters who get to experience famous moments throughout the saga and it's done in a really clever and fun way and it's uh has shades of you know i guess it's um what 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 is is the thing with ebenezer christmas carol Uh, christmas carol yes i don't know why i'm blanking on that a christmas carol uh and um yeah, no, I, I don't know. Brad, I'm assuming you had a lot of fun with this as well. Yeah. You talked about this last week, though. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's 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 very silly, but it's I, I like the way they use the time travel element, and it's a cool thing to just bring all those characters together. And um, it, it, has, it has a genuinely nice, like, holiday, you know, message about, uh, you know, mentoring and, and, you know, friendship and that kind of thing in it. And it's just, yeah, it's just a, you know, a harmlessly entertaining thing. Yeah, so maybe this isn't normally your thing, but I would say check out, you know, this holiday season when you're, like, looking for something to watch. Go to Disney Plus and check out Lego Star Wars Holiday Special. It's it's a ton of fun. Um, and also on Disney Plus, I did catch up with the rest of the episodes of Inside Pixar. This is the documentary series. I think episodes are, like, no more than 10 minutes long. I talked about the first couple. Um and uh, it gets better. It, it does get better. The, 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 one of them uh, follows the director of one of the uh, Spark Shorts programs. And uh, he uh, he um, it, it, it's the one about uh, coming out to the uh, your parents. It, it's really touching and it's based on a, you know, a story that he personally experienced. Another one is about this one's actually very interesting. I think everybody should check this out. One is about the script supervisor who worked at uh, who works at Pixar. She received a Russell for her her invention of a tool. Um, by the way, they give out this thing that's like a, it's a statue that is of Russell from the movie Up for for people who have innovative innovated things at Pixar. But uh, she she received uh, a Russell for a tool that she invented to better diversify characters on the screen. So basically. 
during the production of Cars 3, uh, she was, you know, doing her, she was supervising the script and she realized that 90% of the characters and lines in the film were from male characters. And uh, they, uh, she went to the director and, you know, director was like, let's fix this. Let's change this. So they, they actually changed full characters to female. They gave lines or male characters to female characters. Um, they, uh, she basically invented this way to track statistically. Like it just automatically does it uh, when they're writing the script uh, for every future Pixar movie um, to track like, you know, how many lines are coming from male characters versus female characters. Um, I guess she claimed soul was 50, 50 in terms of lines. And interestingly, they say that the goal isn't to hit 50, 50 with each film as a story can be more male or female driven, but the goal is to have a 50, 50 average after like five years of films. Um, so I don't know that I thought that was really cool. And there's also, uh, another episode on Dan Scanlon, who is the director of Monsters University and also of Onward. And uh, it tells, it goes more in depth about the personal story that was behind Onward, which I wish more people could hear. So anyways, I, I'm, I'm saying check out Inside Pixar. Uh, these episodes are like 10 minutes each. They're really short. Um, and uh, I would recommend ch- checking it out. Uh, they, they uh, I mean, they definitely have an agenda for the most part. Uh, they, I think they're trying to make Pixar look better and rehabilitate any image that they might have had, you know, from the Lasseter controversy. But um, but yeah, I don't know. It's some interesting stuff. And what else? Uh, oh, we were like one night we didn't want to watch a movie or a TV show and we were browsing YouTube and we were deciding what we wanted to watch. And one of the things that popped up in a recommended section on YouTube was this video from this channel called cruise with Ben and David. And, uh, Kitra and I have both been on a Disney cruise in the past. And I, I guess this is a, a channel run by this gay couple who like to go on cruises together. And they like to document it, uh, you know, on video and release it online. Um, it seems like they've made a whole business of it. And uh, what compelled me about this is, uh, well, first of all, I, I miss going on cruises. <laughs> it's probably not going to happen for a long, long time. So I was like, ooh, I'll watch this cruise video for that that's being recommended to me. And number two, uh, the video, I forget what the title was, but it was something like, uh, you know, we're, go- you know, fall- come along on this adventure of us being on the first cruise to be back after the pandemic, right? Like the first crew cruise back. Um, so I was like, Oh, what, what does that look like? I was like really interested to see what a cruise is like, you know, how the safety protocols are and stuff like that. And, um, by the way, these guys is vlogs really well done, really cinematic footage. And we're watching this vlog and they're showing like all the procedures, like you need to get like a, covid test within 72 hours of the cruise and then going onto the ship then they're they, everybody takes rapid tests and they showed footage of like inside the room they have like this new like gigantic robot thing that comes into the room while you're gone and like 
puts out this like like fog that desanitizes the whole room and i'm like watching this whole thing i'm like wow this is crazy all the stuff steps that they're taking and like at the end of the video they're like you know continue on watch day two of our cruise so i click on that and (laughs) day two of the cruise starts with the captain making an announcement i'm sorry i'm laughing but uh the captain making an announcement that someone on board has gotten sick and has tested positive for covid so it, it was an interesting journey to be on watching these vlogs from th- these two guys who were on that ship that made news, um, capturing it as it was happening. Like it, it, once that happened, basically they were quarantined into their room. They couldn't leave their room. Um, I don't know. It, it's worth checking out. It's a cruise with Ben and David. Uh, even if you don't want to go on a cruise or aren't interested in going on a cruise, it's, uh, it was an interesting twist. <laughs> that I wasn't expecting when I was, uh, you know, started watching this and to see uh, also where it goes, because, you know, at first they're like, oh, it could be a false positive. Maybe, you know, it's just one person like we've been completely safe. And then you find out like, you know, hours later that like and th- then you see them going room to room to test everybody. And then you, you find out hours later that like five people ha- have COVID and it's, you know, one crew member. And it's like it gets more insane. So anyways. You want to check that out? I'll link that in the show notes. Uh, Cruise with Ben and David. Um, I'm, and again, I'm not laughing at people having COVID. It's just, uh, I don't know, the absurdity of the situation of like this cruise ship uh, took all these precautions to, uh, I mean, theoretically, theoretically, if you get onto a cruise ship and everybody has tested negative for COVID and like you're not getting off the ship, th- theoretically, it's the the best possible bubble you could possibly have. But um, I guess I'm guessing the testing isn't quite there yet to to do something like that. It's just uh, yeah, crazy. So uh, yeah, that's all I have been watching. Jacob, what have you been watching? Well, now that I am co-hosting a Star Trek Doctor Who podcast with HT, I have a hard time revisiting Star Trek for fun because I don't want to like overdo it. I want to save it for when I am, you know, preparing for the show. So in order to have things on in the background while I work or enjoy myself. I'm starting at the very end. I'm rewatching Star Trek Discovery because theoretically HG won't be seeing on the podcast for literally years. Uh, so I've been rewatching it, and this is a show that the fandom is very split on. People will get very passionate uh, about what it gets wrong. And season one is a very mixed bag. There's some really interesting ideas, but it's adhering very hard to the modern TV standard of let's make a 15 hour movie for a 15 episode season of television. Whereas season two, which saw the showrunners get fired uh, in a big controversial moment, but somehow despite that happening, season two is really, really good and even better on a second watch through. There are still some choices I do not like, but uh, what works really works. And I don't want to go like on a big laundry list of things I love about Star Trek discovery season two. Uh, but since I watched it, uh, Anson Mount, who plays Captain Christopher Pike on the series, who you may remember, uh, was played by Bruce Greenwood in the Star Trek movies by J.J. Abrams, and uh, was in the original pilot for the 1960s Star Trek as Captain Pike before he was replaced uh, by William Shatner with Captain Kirk. And that pilot became canon and was revisited in an actual episode of the show. And it's a very good pilot, too, and it still <laughs> baffles me that that pilot got passed over because it was so good. Yeah, <laughs> you can listen to the episode. We that was like two episodes ago on on Turkey Through Time and Space. Uh, but Anson Mount's Captain Pike will be uh, we, we spun off into a new series uh, called Star Trek: Strange New Worlds, 
uh, which will be set on the Enterprise, the original Enterprise, in the years before Captain Kirk took over, leading up to the events of that original pilot. And goodness gracious, is Anton Mount great on this show. He wears the best Star Trek uniform, and he's just the ideal Trek captain. And Anson Mount has spoken in the past about growing up with Star Trek and watching since he was a kid and like this being a dream job for him. He takes it very seriously. And Captain Pike, as portrayed in Discovery, is a compassionate, uh, sensible uh, guy who leads with decency, but also is not brittle and does not bend over or break when people push back. He, is, he always tries to be a... Uh, compassionate leader first and it helps that Anderson Mount is like unfairly good looking so he's he's just the ideal leading man for a Trek series uh sexy calm collected a role model someone who I'm willing to follow into a sci-fi adventure uh and watching Discovery again uh and being impressed by season two all over again I'm just really excited that they recognize that Anderson Mount uh is going to is like could be in the conversation for best Star Trek captain if he gives more time. So I'm very, very excited all over again about Star Trek and where it's going right now. And by the time the show hits, there will be four TV, four Star Trek shows streaming on CBS All Access, which could be overkill. Uh, but I like all of them. So it's really, really hard for me to be mad at it. Uh, so Star Trek Discovery, if you've heard it's not very good, season one is hit and miss, but season two, I think, really pulls itself up and, and learns some viable lessons. It turns a lot of lemons into lemonade. Uh, Star Discovery, streaming on CBS All Access or on Blu-ray or DVD, however you want to watch it. Uh, I also watched, speaking of Star Trek, and I'll probably make, be fast about this because too much Star Trek. Uh, what We Left Behind is a documentary, uh, crowdfunded, uh, looks back on Star Trek Deep Space Nine and assembles most of the cast, most of the writers, and it's just this two-hour like look back, everybody looks back on what has solely been considered by many fans to be the best Star Trek show, even though at the time it was considered to be the dark, you know, the, the black sheep of the family and was ignored, even though it was doing serialized storytelling way in advance of, you know, modern television. And it was inventing a lot of techniques about storytelling on TV that uh, the Sopranos would get credit for, you know, just a few years after it ended. So it's really fascinating. And the one of the big draws of this doc is that it assembles a bunch of the writers of the original series and has cameras run as they essentially imagine if they were hired to make season eight and you get to watch the writers, you know, as the cameras roll, break season eight, come up with the pilot and where, where they take the characters. And it is fascinating. And if you've never seen these space nine, don't watch this. It's not for you. It was literally unforgiving for anybody who is knows nothing about the show. It assumes you've seen every episode, uh, but streaming for free on YouTube right now. Uh, and it's free on Amazon prime. And if you're a DS nine fan, like I am, it is, it's a treat. It's a real treat. Uh, bad stuff I watched. <laughs> uh, I watched The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen for the first time since 2003 when it hit theaters. This is the film that uh, Sean Connery famously did after turning down The Matrix and Lord of the Rings because he didn't understand the scripts. Getting the script and saying, well, I don't get it, but maybe this, this is the one. <laughs> and it was a massive <laughs> critical and financial bomb. Uh, it convinced Sean Connery that I think I'm done with movies. And it convinced director Stephen Norrington, who made Blade before this, that he's also done with movies. So it effectively killed a legendary actor's career and a promising up-and-comer's career in one fell swoop. And this is the adaptation of the Alan Moore, Kevin O'Neill comic, which essentially imagines that what if uh, Victorian-era literary characters uh, like Alan Quartermain and The Invisible Man and Dr. Comster Hyde were essentially assembled uh, as a Avengers of sorts for 1890s England. 
And the comic itself is very sophisticated, very strange, very literate. It's full of insane Easter eggs that require so much knowledge and research to understand. I think it's one of the best comics I've ever read. And it is an absolute brilliant uh, pastiche of superhero comics, but also literary characters. And it's among the coolest things I've ever seen. I mean, the second uh, story arc begins with John Carter as as in, of Mars uh, leading the John Carter characters against an invasion of the alien tripods from War of the Worlds. And when they fail that invasion, they head for Earth instead. And then the rest of that season, or sorry, that storyline, is Dr. Jekyll and Invisible Man and all those characters fighting H.G. Wells' Martians from War of the Worlds. It's the craziest, cool stuff imaginable. And it's done with so much care and detail for these characters and their worlds and and doesn't really shy away from the fact that these characters are often villainous like captain nemo does not like working for england the invisible man is a psychopath uh, it is absolutely delightful it's a great comic and the movie is quite possibly the worst adaptation of a good thing i've ever seen i can't think of a film adaptation that misses the mark more strongly and more is more ready and willing to throw away what makes the source material work and it's full of studio notes like uh a grown-up Tom Sawyer is an FBI agent, or sorry, an American Special Forces agent in it because they wanted more Americans in the cast. It's full of lunkhead decisions like that. And I, it's streaming now, I think it's on Stars, and it really is a disaster. It's a really unfun, humor, humor-free, uh, dope-headed pile of bullshit. And I'm very curious. Has anybody else here read the comic or remember the movie? Because I, for the life of me, cannot remember a time where I was more let down by an adaptation of something. I have not read the comic, but I remember being incredibly disappointed by the movie because I thought that the concept was so cool in 2003, just like the, Oh my God, they're bringing together, you know, this is way before Avengers and all that stuff. It was like the, um, you know, it, it was, it was, it seemed to me to be doing something, um, you know, that hadn't been done since like the Abbott and Costello crossovers and stuff like that. And I was very excited about it and then immediately let down. Yeah. yeah, I uh, I read the the comic. I saw the movie. Both are, uh, yeah, the movie is bad. <laughs> um, the comic <laughs> is great, but I don't know. It's just for some reason it's very hard for films to get Alan Moore right. I don't know. I feel, I feel like the, a worse example is um, From Hell, which was like one of my favorite like graphic novels of all time, and then they made it into like this really shitty movie, and I don't understand why. Like I know Alan Moore has some like wild ideas, but these these comics are pretty straightforward in terms of storytelling. So I really don't understand why it's so hard for for filmmakers to just like get it right. I I don't under I it's like a it's like a mystery. I wish someone would like examine this. I don't quite get it. Yeah, From Hell is also very bad. I know it's because the Hughes brothers had a Jack the Ripper script, and the studio had the rights to From Hell, so they said let's just pop put on Hell From Hell on the script, uh, and which is such a, a cynical awful decision uh, you, sh- you shouldn't watch honestly you shouldn't watch any alan moore adaptations uh, <laughs> because uh me for vendetta is also pretty bad it, it, Vendetta is actually an okay movie but a bad adaptation from hell is bad the Troy gentleman is bad uh the next a watchman movie is a failure uh an interesting one but a failure uh i mean you have to go all the way to hbo's watchman sequel to find anybody doing interesting on screen with alan moore's work and even then that is them not trying to adapt it they're, they're following it up anyway you should not watch this, but you should absolutely read the comic. Uh, and then you should open up all the websites that people have done to try to find all the literary characters and references in every panel. Because, oh my god, this Kevin O'Neill's art 
lean so heavily on Easter eggs and references and in jokes, and it's a genuine work of genius. Uh, anyway, I also watched The Call, available for rental on Amazon. This is a new horror movie. I hit rent on it because it stars Tobin Bell and Lynn Shea of Insidious and Saw fame. I thought, ah, horror royalty, two uh, uh, elder states people of, of, of modern horror. I'm excited to see them in this horror movie, and uh, not worth it. Very bad. They're supporting characters in it. Uh, don't watch The Call. And that's all I've seen. Okay. Uh, Brad, what have you been watching? I have been making my way through uh, Friends. So, obviously, Friends, huge hit. Lots of people love it. Um, when I was in high school and whatnot, I didn't really have any like appointment television. You, this is, you know, even before um, DVRs were, you know, widespread and available and not super expensive. Um, I just never went out of my way to like record a TV show or be somewhere to watch something on purpose. Um, I, I watched a lot of movies and rewatched movies and things like that. And so I never really got into Friends. And I just kept, you know, just putting it off. But uh, my girlfriend loves Friends. She's seen all of it. And we decided to dive into it. And so I recently completed the the first season. Um, and this show, you know, it, it's honestly really fun. I was, at first, it feels uh, a little dated because, you know, it's a sitcom style that's not used super often anymore. Uh, you know, live audience, um, you know, multi-camera kind of stuff. And uh, it, it, it's these kinds of sitcoms usually have a tendency to feel a little forced. But the writing on Friends is genuinely very witty and and quick. You know, the, the sarcasm of Matthew Perry as Chandler is great. Uh, Phoebe is a great quirky character. Um, the, the dim-wittedness of, of Joey as an actor is fun. Um, I... You know, it's, it's, it just has a lot of, you know, trademark elements, uh, in addition to the chemistry between everyone being phenomenal. Um, it's just a really good cast, and the way they bounce off of each other makes it work better than uh, I had originally anticipated. So I've been having a lot of fun with it, and it's been really interesting seeing uh, certain guest stars pop up even before, like, they became a lot more famous. You know, some people like Steve Zahn have early appearances in it. And then there's, like, little random things, too, that I noticed, like, that they're not necessarily, like, household names, but, like... The guy who plays Hank, the security guard from The Office, has a, had a very small role in an episode. I was just like, hey. Um, and so it's it's stuff like that that makes it really fun. And I also learned something interesting that I did not know. And I don't know how you know deeply real Friends fans have dived into this necessarily. But uh, there was a Friends um, crossover episode with Mad About You. And it wasn't really like a big deal. But it was a weird explanation because at the time... Lisa Kudrow had a role on Mad About You, and it was airing the same time that Friends was. And for some reason, um, p- uh, executives thought it would be confusing for people to see Lisa Kudrow on both Friends and Mad About You, two shows set in New York City, and thought they might not realize that they were two different characters. <laughs> and so what they did was they had uh, they, they explained it that uh, her character on Friends and her character on Mad About You are twin sisters. So there's a whole thing where like Helen Hunt appears on Friends and whatnot. And so it's it's very, very odd. And then from this, I also found out that in a way, Friends and Mad About You and Seinfeld all exist in the same universe because there was a Seinfeld Mad About You crossover. But it doesn't entirely work because Courtney Cox appears in Seinfeld as a completely different character at one point. So uh, that was just something a really, a really interesting rabbit hole that I fell into when I was looking stuff up as I was watching the first season. I miss old TV show crossovers, like when TGIF would have like a crossover of all the shows or something. Yeah, for sure. It's it's, it's it was always silly, but it was it was definitely fun. 
It's our curiosity. Yeah. What is the last time we've seen a crossover like that? I'm thinking of the the new girl in Brooklyn Nine Nine had a crossover episode, but I'm trying to think if there's a more recent like classical sitcomy uh, crossover uh, since then. Yeah, as far as comedy shows, I don't, I don't think that there. I, I would. I mean, maybe maybe the biggest and most famous one was when Family Guy and The Simpsons did it. Hmm. Yeah, the new the new girl in Brooklyn Nine Nine was the only one I can think of. Uh, which is crazy because uh, one of the main characters in New Girl, uh, oh, who appears in Brooklyn Nine Nine as well, and I'm forgetting his name. Uh, but yeah, it's as another character too. So it's just it's kind of funny that that also they can't even get that like smoothly transitioned. I feel like nowadays is less of like the characters crossing over, and it's more of. Like, there's a storm that's affecting all the show. Do you know what I mean? Like, it happens at the same time. Or uh, most recently, I think for the opening of Disney's Galaxy's Edge, there was a bunch of ABC shows that they went to Disney World or Disneyland or something. <laughs> that's Michael Eisner's approach from the 90s. Once a week, yeah. all ABC families go to Disney. And so the, the Full House episode where they go to, to Disney is has kind of a cringe moment because – uh, the actor who plays DJ's boyfriend, Scott, who's the voice of Eric in The Little Mermaid, appears as Aladdin in a Disney parade, and he's wearing a little bit of brown face. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, like it's meant to just make him look just a tiny bit tan, and it's like, ooh, that's probably not the best idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know about that. But I I know one of the recent ones, like, they had a bunch of shows go to Disney World, and they must have only built one uh, – or I don't even think they built the set. I think they actually went to Disney World. But they had, like, the same actor, like, on Hollywood Tower of Terror, like, the same, like, cast member, like, working the ride in each of them. But I I don't think the shows crossed over. So, I don't know. It was weird. Weird. Anyways. uh, (laughs) What were you going to say, Brad? I just said it's weird. Yeah. Uh, what else have you been watching, bro? Uh, I also finally got around to watching The Trial of the Chicago 7, you know, um, a month or two uh, late. Um, and I really love this movie. Uh, I, I love Aaron Sorkin in general. I think he's a fantastic writer. Um, as a director, he proved that he, he was definitely competent with Molly's Game, um, but I think still had, you know, something to prove. And uh, this is a step up, in, I, I think, for him as a filmmaker. Uh, the ensemble cast is, is fantastic here. Um, it's, I mean, Sasha Baron Cohen is, uh, is in this movie and he, you know, it, it's not, it's, it's fun to see him do this kind of role, um, as opposed to, you know, doing his usual, you know, comedy shtick. And, um, even, even if it's a character who still has this, you know, sarcastic, uh, funny side to him, cause he's a, a very, you know, rebellious and, and smart ass, um, civil rights activist. But, uh, you know, everybody in this movie is, is really good. Jeremy Strong, uh, is also fantastic. Eddie Redmayne, you know. He gets a lot of crap because he puts in these huge bombastic performances, you know, um, in you know, like Jupiter Ascending, and he's a, a little too, uh, you know, quirky and fantastic beast. But I really liked liked him in this movie, um, and it's uh, it's it's very timely, very relevant for the things that have happened this year, and uh, you know, definitely ties into our political and social um, spectrum that we're seeing unfold right now. And it's in a way, it's uh, infuri- infuriating seeing how this court case unfolded and how much uh, discrimination and bias there was from the judge trying the case. 
Um, but and it's it's it sucks that there's so many things that haven't changed, you know, um, for for minorities and just for for civil rights and the justice system in general. Um, but you know, it, it it offers you know some semblance of hope, and it's uh yeah, it's just a really a, a great uh, courtroom drama um, to to give a watch. That's on Netflix. Chris, what have you been watching? Uh, I watched Happiest Season, which is a Hulu movie. I think it premieres tomorrow on Hulu. And it's got Kristen Stewart and Mackenzie Davis and Aubrey Plaza. Pretty much everyone is in this movie. And it was a it was a nice movie. It's it's not, you know, great, but you know, uh, you know, it, it's gonna it's getting a lot of attention because, you know, it's it's a holiday rom com, but it's about um, you know, gay characters and that's even though it shouldn't be a, a big deal, it, it is just, you know, the fact that it's a, you know, a big holiday movie with that angle. Um, that said, it doesn't exactly, you know, do anything different. It, it, it's pretty much a, gen, a generic rom-com, but it's, it's very funny and it's very charming and it's a, it's a nice movie. So uh, I think people will, will enjoy this and uh, it'll be on Hulu. So everyone can watch it during the holiday season. And yeah, that's all I have to say. <laughs> okay, cool. Uh, ben, what have you been watching? Uh, last night, I watched the first episode of a show that is on HBO Max right now called How To with John Wilson. Has anybody here seen the show yet by any chance? I, I've heard a lot of divisive things about this. Either it's the greatest thing ever or it's horrible. Oh, interesting. Okay. So I had only heard, you know, from a handful of people, just the tweets and things like that, like, oh, this show is really great. You should check it out kind of thing. And I, I didn't even really know what it was, um, but I just decided to uh, to throw it on last night. And we, my wife and I only watched the first episode, but I think we, we enjoyed it. It was you know, the, the entire season. I believe there's only six episodes in the whole thing. Um, but uh, yeah, the, it's it's this guy, John Wilson, who is a, a filmmaker who I guess is based out of New York City. And yeah, a lot of it, I think all of it so far has been filmed like before the, the pandemic. So it's like him walking around documentary style, kind of narrating the episodes. And uh, each episode has like a uh, theoretically a topic that he's supposed to be sort of exploring. Like the first episode is how to, how to make small talk. And it's him just sort of like... Um, it's a very difficult to explain show, but it's like him juxtaposing the footage that he gets of um, things and people in New York city with this narration that is very dry. And um, Nathan Fielder from Nathan for you is uh, an executive producer on the show. And it definitely has that same kind of um, it feels like it's in the same comedy family as, as something like uh, Nathan for you. It's not nearly as cringeworthy, um, but the, uh, I guess, topic of each individual show just sort of like serves as like a, uh, a launch pad for, <laughs> for John Wilson to sort of, um, spin out and create and, and find and discover and explore these tangents that he goes on that are, uh, pretty entertaining so far. So, uh, like I said, I've only seen one episode. I feel weird trying to like explain the entire show, but uh, of what I've seen so far, it's, um, it's a weird show, but, uh, I think I'm, I'm on board for now anyway. So, um, I- I'm curious to see if anybody else here gets a, a chance to check this out, what you guys think of it, and especially Peter, if it's supposed to be very divisive. So I, I have not uh, <laughs> really looked into it or read anything about it because I wanted to sort of like get my own, you know, sense of it first. But um, I look forward to, to sort of watching more and then reading a bunch of stuff about it and seeing what the uh, what the divisive 
ness is for people there. So I think it just seems like it's a very particular type of comedy that either you like or don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that's I, the sense I'm getting. Yeah, it, I, I can definitely understand that. Um, I, I think you'll know in the first maybe like 15 minutes or or so of the or 10, maybe even 10 minutes of the episode, whether it's the kind of thing that that you'll like, although the back half of the episode goes in an interesting place that I was not expecting. So um, yeah, that is how to with John Wilson. It's on HBO max right now. I also rewatched the hunt for red October for the first time in many, many, many years. I probably saw it, you know, in like 1998 or something. This movie came out in 1990. It was directed by John McTiernan. who's the same guy who directed die hard. Uh, while Jacob was watching a, a terrible Sean Connery movie with League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, I was actually watching a pretty decent one. Um, I enjoyed this a lot. It's one of the Jack Ryan movies, and I had like almost kind of forgotten that because Sean Connery's face is really the one that's all over the marketing. And and you know, if you look at the poster, it's just him. There's no like Alec Baldwin who plays Jack Ryan, the the uh, CIA analyst character that Tom Clancy created, who's been in a bunch of different movies, is not even on the poster at all. So, um, you know, it definitely feels more like a Connery uh, vehicle than, you know, something that um, is slotted into a larger film franchise. And I think that's to the movie's benefit. Um, not that Alec Baldwin is bad. It's it's actually, it was refreshing to go back in time uh, to a, a, a moment in cinematic history when Alec Baldwin was not like the sort of quasi deranged personality that he, he has uh, developed into um, and just be like, Oh, wow. Yeah. He was actually like a pretty compelling movie star at one point, but um, Connery plays this uh, uh, Soviet Naval captain on a submarine. It's a submarine movie for those of you who don't know. Um, and, uh, it's basically just this sort of like battle of wits between, uh, Connery's captain and, um, Jack Ryan, who is like this, yeah, like low level CIA analyst who tries to figure out what the hell is going on with, uh, with this Connery character who may be going rogue or maybe sailing for the United States coast in an attempt to, you know, launch nuclear missiles at the, at the U S. So, uh, he's in this experimental sub and the movie is very tense and, um, you know, you don't really know. It's, it's very mysterious. The, the uh, motivations and stuff are sort of slowly doled out to you over the course of the film. I was a little disappointed that I don't know if this was just the mix on um, the I think it was BBC America is where I've, <laughs> I watch this or, or maybe some sort of BBC uh, channel on my through my cable package. But the um, it was very difficult to understand a lot of the dialogue and like uh for some reason it didn't have a uh, closed captioning available on that particular title. So it was weird. I just like recorded it and tried to watch it and a, a decent percentage, I don't know, 10, 20% of the dialogue or something was completely unintelligible to me. And, you know, it's a lot of characters like um, in enclosed spaces and there's loud mechanical uh, noises and like uh, metallic clanks and echoes and stuff going on because they're in uh, the submarine environment. So maybe that had something to do with it, but um, I don't know. I was just, we were talking the other day about like Christopher Nolan and sound mixing and, and, you know, not being able to hear dialogue and stuff. And I was like, oh man, this movie is sort of uh, suffering from that same thing to a, a degree, but it's still uh, a very enjoyable experience. Um, so it is called The Hunt for Red October. And, uh, and I don't think it's streaming anywhere right now, but maybe you can catch it on cable if you, um, if you still have, uh, if you've not cut the cord yet. 
what else? I watched uh, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. This is this is uh, the John Hughes movie from 1987 that stars uh, Steve Martin and John Candy. It is a, uh, a Thanksgiving classic. Um, this is one that my wife introduced me to. She grew up watching it, and I only really saw it uh, or started watching it, you know, for the, in the, within the past few years. Um, but uh, man, this is just a, a really um, heartwarming movie. It's, it's uh, very sad at times, but also really, really funny. And it's just really um, fun to revisit these characters. Steve Martin and John Candy are so, uh, so great in it. And, um, you know, Candy especially is just uh, this sort of like bleeding heart of a character who like, you know, he gives this big speech about, um, you know, I, I like me, you know, I, I'm, I'm the real article. Like, you know, you get what you, you know, I, I basically like I, I live with my, my heart on my sleeve kind of thing. And his whole character just feels like a raw nerve um, in the whole movie. And it's really um, enjoyable to watch. And Steve Martin is just like, so, you know, he, he's kind of an asshole, but he's also really, really relatable. And at the idea of like how annoyed he gets at, at uh, these, these holdups that happen, and he's just trying to get home and all these different, obstacles keep popping up over and over again so um it's a classic story a pretty simple uh you know a to b to c kind of thing um it's not gonna like you know blow you away from a structural standpoint or or uh you know cinematography or anything like that but it's just um a really great uh classic 1980s comedy so planes trains and automobiles i don't think that is streaming anywhere either but um especially with it being uh, Thanksgiving week right now, you can probably catch that on, you know, TNT or whatever. I'm sure it's playing somewhere. So uh, that is planes, trains and automobiles. And then finally I watched weekend at Bernie's for the first time. Um, I have no idea why, uh, but I was just scrolling through Amazon looking for something to watch. And this came up and I was like, uh, sure, let's go for that. Um, this came out in 1989 and it stars Andrew McCarthy and Jonathan Silverman as these two um, guys who work at like a, sort of a, a faceless uh, insurance corporation and their boss is uh, he is killed. He's, he's murdered actually in his beach house and he had invited them up to, uh, to spend some time at that beach house. And there's this whole elaborate scheme where he had been embezzling money from his, this insurance company and the, the two guys found out about it and he invited them to this house. So that they could be uh, killed by the mob. And then Bernie is the one who's killed. And these guys um, end up like moving his dead body around in, in various poses to keep the illusion up that he <laughs> that he's still alive. It's all very very high concept and very ridiculous. But I was surprised at how much I enjoyed this, um, especially considering you know it came out so long ago and and has like such a ludicrous premise. Um, but I have to say that uh, Terry Kaiser, who plays Bernie, the the main uh, boss character, is um, this is kind of a genius performance because he's he he is alive for much longer than I thought. It's basically like the first half of the movie. He's still alive. Um, I, and, you know, going into this, not having seen it before, I just assumed that he was basically like dead the entire time, but that's not really true. And so he does a good job of sort of um, establishing this character early. And then the, the whole back half of the movie, he is just giving this like really tremendous physical performance where he is just, He's a dead body. So like you think that it's as simple as just like him going limp the whole time, but it's, it's more than that. It's, it's um, him knowing how to move his body in certain ways that, um, that, that uh, just like heighten the comedy in any given moment. 
Um, so I was really just sort of in awe of, uh, of what Terry Kaiser was doing, like the, you know, the physicality of that performance I found. Well, Brent, um, now you yes. have to watch Weekend at Bernie's 2, where they use voodoo to make Bernie a zombie. <laughs> and I'm not kidding. That's the actual. <laughs> yeah. So that, so, uh, Weekend at Bernie's 2 is also on Amazon. And right after I finished watching this, I, you know, there's like that little thing that, that pops up in the menu where it's like, if, you know, maybe people who have watched this also watched and I saw Weekend at Bernie's 2 there and I was like, oh, I, I, some, I don't think I knew that there was a sequel. And I read the, the synopsis <laughs> and read what you just said, Chris, where it's like the, the voodoo stuff. And I was like, oh, um, I think I'm going to skip that one. So uh, I don't know if anybody here has actually seen Weekend at Bernie's 2. And, oh, I, and I actually, I've seen that more. For some reason, it used to be like on, I want to say, I don't know if there, there's a HBO channel, or something. Or like Prism. There used to be a channel called Prism. And I think it was on there. And for some reason, I watched it all the time when I was a kid, even though, even as a kid, I was like, this is awful. And yet I just kept rewatching. <laughs> okay. So, so Chris, what do you think about the first Weekend of Bernie's? Is it awful in comparison or is it just an awful movie or what? You know, I've seen Weekend of Bernie's two more times than the first one. So I don't really even remember the first one. I just remember the second one where the the voodoo spell or whatever it is like bernie is like dancing around the entire movie like he hears music and it makes him dance but he's not dead so it's he's like you know like a zombie he's not even like really a zombie just like a dead body that's like shuffling around and at one just a dancing corpse okay all right shoots an arrow through his head that's i don't i don't really remember what else happens in the movie i also remember it's supposed to take place literally like the next day but they filmed it years later, so everyone looks noticeably old. <laughs> very, very strange movie. Wow. Okay. Uh, well, with that, um, I guess anti recommendation. I think I'm going to stick to my original decision of probably avoiding a Weekend at Bernie's too. But the first one I thought was surprisingly good. So if you've never seen that, it's it's streaming on Amazon Prime Video right now. Am I wrong in that, like, I feel like in the 80s and maybe early 90s, they were making lots of movies where, like, people were on vacation at a beachside, like, town or resort and, you know, wackiness ensues. But, like, that's not happening as much anymore, right? I think, like, Adam Sandler makes those kind of movies now, right? Like, but, like, he makes (laughs) them because it's, like, a free vacation. He, like, bakes it into the script. Like, what if this movie takes place in Hawaii? Even though it has nothing to do with the movie. It's just... (laughs) I genuinely enjoy Fifty First Dates, though. Oh, th- that's a good movie. Yeah, I think I don't think that's a hot take. I think that's like it, it's an enjoyable rom com. Okay, everyone, there's like a, but, a big silence after that, and I was like, did I say something terrible? I've actually never seen Fifty First Dates, so that's why I was saying it's, it's actually it's, it is a enjoyable rom an enjoyable rom com, as Peter said, and it's one that I've actually seen way more times than I thought I would. But it's it's really fun, and there's a lot. Of, good chemistry between drew barrymore and um adam sandler yeah it works mostly because of them because they're this is this is where kind of adam sandler started to veer more into doing extremely goofy things with his like his friends as side characters and like rob schneider is is pretty annoying in in this one and there's just there's some silly doing brown face in this movie too yeah Yeah. kind of because because like he's he's meant to be like like from hawaii and so it's yeah it's definitely not the best for him but rob schneider sucks now anyway so (laughs) (laughs) is uh i don't know i I haven't seen 50 first dates in a while but is is that at all problematic now oh oh I mean, yes. apart from the Rob Schneider. I mean, like, yeah. The because he keeps on, like, going after the same. 
Oh no! Isn't it a little aggressive? Oh no! Well, there's a oh no! I have to go and watch Sandler's it. performance, which makes it watchable. But the Rob Schneider stuff is <laughs> not watchable at all. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's move on. HD. What What have you been watching? So you guys remember last week, I think, when I was debating on whether I should watch The Crown because of all the renewed interest in the show after the Princess Diana plotline, and I was highly debating just going into season four just so I could watch the Princess Diana stuff. Um, I just was really interested in that, but I decided to go from the beginning and start watching The Crown from season one. And it's a good show. That's another hot take of mine today. (laughs) Um, But I will say it's uh, upsetting me more than it should to watch Matt Smith act like a jerk (laughs) because I've only ever known him from Doctor Who where he plays, I don't want to spoil too much for Jacob uh, because we were like years away from getting to Matt Smith's era, but he plays a very different character than he does in The Crown where he is an imperialist, racist, classist uh, dickweed essentially. And... (laughs) One who's very charming and um, charismatic for sure, but one who uh, is it's hard to watch after knowing him in Doctor Who. And so it's it's upsetting me more than I should. I It shouldn't upset me at all because I know he's an actor. I have seen, seen him in like other things, which aren't very good. I think I, I had a face like we all do after we like a star in a TV show where I watched a bunch of his you know indie movies and they were not that really great. But... I mean, okay, well, I told Jacob this on Twitter, but I did have a poster of Matt Smith in my college dorm room. Well, (laughs) that's why. Anyways, yeah, The Crown is great. Um, And uh, one one thing I I have just to add to, I guess, the convo that I'm sure has been said before, but it's really interesting watching um, uh, Claire Foy's performance as Queen Elizabeth II, and she's great in it, of course, and uh, seeing how uh, her character... Um, at this young age struggles with all of the um, the pomp and circumstance of the role and what it what the burden the burden that it carries and how at first in this early season in the early episodes she kind of is burdened with balancing that between being a sovereign and being a human and yet knowing what I do now of season four um, and of like the royal family in general how she basically has kind of internalized all of what she sort of fought against in the early seasons and um, instead kind of has become part of that institution that she was somewhat struggling against in the beginning. So I think that's really interesting. Um, And uh, I'm looking forward to watching more of The Crown. And I have, you know, I'm stealing myself for Matt Smith being a bad person. It's fine. (laughs) Like, he's been cast as, like, a bad guy in a lot of stuff, right? Like, he was a bad guy in The Terminator. I didn't watch that. (laughs) Yeah, there was some like, is it because he looks like a bad guy? Like, or do you think he like as an actor is like more like he wants those kind of roles? I think more probably the, the former because uh, it is very typical in Hollywood to cast British actors who have very high cheekbones and very strange pale countenances as villains. So he kind of has a face for a villain. So um, yeah. that's, you know, not unexpected. It's just it was, it was weirdly hard for me watching that. He's great in it, as as is everyone in the the series so far. So, I'm looking forward to more of the Crown. HT, uh, I think this means we need to uh, start writing our fanfic where Captain Christopher Pike meets the Eleventh Doctor. I mean, we do. Oh yeah, I'm, I was just wondering, like, if that has happened in the comics yet, and I go, I don't <laughs> think it has. No, I, uh, the do- he's met most of the rest of the do- uh, Star Trek captains according to in the IDW comics, but he's never met Christopher Pike. So I think we need to make this happen. Yeah. It's happening. 
All right. Uh, other thing I watched, um, I rewatched Emma. Uh, my roommate had recently just had gotten into The Queen's Gambit and binged through all of it and was in a mood to watch more uh, Anya Taylor-Joy stuff. And um, she had never seen Emma yet. So that is streaming on HBO Max now. And we popped it in and it's great. I talked about it back when I first reviewed the movie. It's really fun and borderline satirical. And Anya Taylor-Joy gives a really, really fun, um, really heightened comedic performance. One that uh, really leans into sort of the um, the mean rich girl persona that Emma and Woodhouse is, uh, which is such a far cry from Jane Austen's other heroines. And I really like that this movie is just so sharp and stylish and feels like it is really true to Jane Austen's own um skills as a as a satirist so emma great movie honey taylor joy great in it if you are watching the queen's gambit and you're looking for other movies that she's in she's just so excellent and charismatic in emma okay and i guess we're moving on to what we've been eating uh this past week i as i mentioned i went to a taste of merry farm this is a van and not uh berry farm and I, I had some interesting things there that I wanted to bring up. Uh, first of all, I had uh, the big turkey dinner balls. And this is a turkey stuffing cranberry sauce uh, covered with like, I think, a, like a cornbread, like a outer layer that is f- deep fried. And then you take that ball, and you dip it into some some gravy and you eat it. And it is incredible. And I don't know how this isn't a thing nationwide because it is like Thanksgiving dinner in a ball. It's it's amazing. Um, what else did I have there? The best thing I had is not not as exciting. Was um it was a mac and cheese that had pulled pork on top of it. Um, but that was uh, amazing. Uh, but uh, what else did I do? Oh, I uh, for my birthday. I did have my birthday dinner at Rouse in Hollywood. Rouse is a Italian food restaurant. It is um, – you might recognize them because if you go to the grocery store, they sell Rouse uh, tomato sauce, um, which I generally recommend. Uh, it's like one of the best tomato sauces. It is a little bit more expensive, but it also – I learned about them when I was on keto because it's one of the only tomato sauces that has a very low sugar count. And surprisingly, it tastes better to me than like other tomato sauces that have more sugar. Anyways, uh, I had never been to Rouse. Rouse, I think, started at the beginning of the <laughs> the, the century in Harlem, I think, is the first Rouse. They also have one in Hollywood and they have one in Vegas and they might have one somewhere else. It's a family run business. It's an Italian restaurant. They're famous for their like big meatballs, which were amazing. And uh, in Hollywood, they have a location that has like a back patio that is open air. And um, it's kind of strange. I'm not sure about you guys, but like a lot of the restaurants around here are like because you can't eat indoors are now like they've set up shop in their parking lots. So they have like tables in their parking lots and they have like tents over the tables. And it's really uh really strange sight. But this is like one of the rare places that actually has a, you know, a patio that is open air, but also has a top to it. And it was, um, they also had like photos like of like gangsters. Like they had like, uh, uh, Tony Soprano was on the wall. I don't know. I don't know what was going on there. Anyways. Uh, I just want to say, I had a really good time at Rouse for my birthday and it's a restaurant. I'm going to be back at 
at some point. And I'm sure I'm sure the one in Harlem is probably better because it's the original. Uh, but I really enjoyed it. Uh, Itchy, you've never never been to Rouse in New York, I'm assuming? I have not. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, nothing um, to say about it. <laughs> yeah. No, no, I, I, I assumed. It's probably like, you know, there's ton, there's millions of restaurants to go to in New York City. So it's like, yeah, what's the chances? Uh, okay, Brad. What have you been eating this week? Well, you had turkey balls, and I had some new chocolate balls. That's a segue. Um, I, so I have talked before about how much I love the Lindt chocolate truffles. They're uh, a little bit pricey, but they're delicious. Um, just very, very creamy um, chocolate. And they have uh, two holiday flavors. One that is well, was around before, but I, I don't think I ever got my hands on it. And if I did, then, you know, it's just been so long that I've forgotten because this year has been 10 years. Um, but there is a, a snickerdoodle uh, Lindt chocolate truffle. That is delicious. It's uh, it's white chocolate, unlike a lot of the the other ones, and it has the um, just that perfect like touch of cinnamon to make it taste like a snickerdoodle, just as creamy as the um, the regular ones, uh, but a nice change of pace with the 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 white chocolate. Um, and so th- those come out around every holiday season, at least they have recently. Um, and so yeah, I finally got my hands on those. And then there's a brand new flavor that came out this year that I believe is only available uh, at Target. Um, and it's a hot cocoa flavored one. And normally I'm not the biggest fan of dark chocolate, um, just because obviously it's a little bit more bitter and not, not as uh, sweet as regular milk chocolate. Um, but in this case, this with the, the filling that has like a kind of a a marshmallow cocoa, uh, creamy cocoa mix to it inside of it, uh, works really well with the dark chocolate. It's, It's not as bitter as, um, regular dark chocolate usually is. Uh, and it's uh, it's a it's a really good one. So I hope that they bring it back um, around the holidays because there's 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 several, um, you know, nice holiday, you know, traditional candies that come out for Christmas that are good, including the uh, the mint cookie crumble lint chocolate uh, truffles, which are another favorite of mine. Um, so, yeah. So be on the lookout for uh, for those because they're they're really good. And then uh, also on the chocolate side of things, uh, Reese's has a new variant of their big cups, which is like their big thick peanut butter cups uh and these have pretzel pieces in them and uh, it makes for a nice mix of uh salty and sweet the pretzel bits in it are um like evenly distributed throughout and they're they're smaller and so it's um it just brings a nice crunch to it almost like it's a little bit crispier than with the the big cups that have like the reese's uh pieces in them um and it's it just it's makes for a, a like almost like a crunchy uh, peanut butter, except the crunch isn't as hard because it's not you know chunks of peanuts that are actually in the peanut butter. And apparently, there's going to be a potato chip one that comes out sometime next year, I think. So I'll, I'm going to be looking out for that one. But this one is really good. Um, and then uh, a while ago, like maybe even over a year ago, I talked about uh, Bundaberg and how delicious their ginger beer is. Um, it's from. Australia, you can, you can get it all over in the United States in different grocery stores, but it's definitely a specialty ginger beer. It comes in four packs of glass bottles, uh, and it's like the best ginger beer um, that, I, that I've ever had. And I just recently learned that around the holidays, they come out with a spiced version of it. Uh, so it has a little bit of a, um, a cinnamon spice, almost making it taste like a, uh, a spiced cider. Um, and it's, uh, it's very, very good. I don't think it's quite as good as the regular ginger beer but i will say mixing it uh with apple cider is awesome because that makes for a like a a really delicious like 
carbonated uh, spiced uh, um, apple cider flavor. So if you uh, if you've got uh, if you get some of this, I found mine at Costco. I don't know how uh, readily available it is at, at other places, um, but get some of it and mix it with apple cider, and I don't think that you uh, will be disappointed. And then uh, one last thing: um, there's a new uh, holiday cereal out inspired by Elf the movie. Uh, some, you know, fun crossover branding, I suppose. And it's, um, the regular cereal pieces are, they're basically just little, the little corn puff balls that are in a lot of different cereals, but they are, um, maple syrup flavored, or at least have a maple flavor to them. Uh, and they come with little Christmas marshmallows in them. Um, and I was actually surprised by how good this was. The, um, the corn puff balls themselves are, um, they're kind of like kicks, but they, for somehow they're a little bit, I guess, crispier or crunchier. Um, and the maple flavor is different than like cereals that they have, like from waffle crisp or like the, the Eggo cereal that's out there. Um, and so mixing it with milk, it's, um, it has a nice, uh, like sweetness to, to the milk without being super overpowering. Uh, it's not like super sugary, like other cereals are. So, uh, I got that at Walmart. I'm not sure if that's exclusive or not. Cause I don't think I've seen it pop up anywhere else, but that, so if you're looking for it, check the cereal aisle or the, the holiday end caps at Walmart. Very cool. Uh, actually I have a less exciting things I ate, uh, to, to talk about, uh, you know, when I'm not eating big Turkey dinner balls, when we're you know, recording the cam- on, the, on the camera, uh, I I've started a, a new diet where I'm hoping to lose weight because we, uh, this pandemic, uh, we've been eating out way too much. Uh, and basically what we're doing is we're eating frozen meals just because uh, that is good portion control. Like one of the, the the most accurate in terms of calories and all the stuff, uh, f- frozen meals is is one of the most accurate to that. So, um, so I've been eating a lot of frozen meals lately, uh, which, you know, aren't too exciting. But I did want to talk about one that I, I, I recently got. Um, I like raviolis. I recently got Amy's a brand. Uh, they, they sell ravioli, a bowl of raviolis. And it's really good. You get a, a big portion for the amount of uh, nutrition there. So I'm not sure if any of you out there are a fan of Amy's or not or haven't heard of them. Uh, I haven't tried many of their other stuff. But, like, I don't know. I've been eating a lot of frozen meals. And this was, like, exceptional in the, you know, the category of frozen microwave meals. So, uh, Anybody else here ever try Amy's? Anything from Amy's? Sounds like no, no. <laughs> but I do recommend if you like uh, good frozen meals, Trader Joe's frozen meals were what I subsisted on in college, and they're very good. And sometimes we'll uh, need you to cook them in the pan and make you feel like you're really cooking too. So, and uh, good portions as well. So I yeah, Trader Joe's frozen meals are are what I recommend. I like the Trader Joe's ones because they have like more like ethnic choices too. Mm-hmm. Like I'll get like pad Thai or some like Indian like chicken masala kind of thing uh jacob you were gonna say something i was gonna make a bad joke but the the window has passed for it to be effective so i'm i'm casually bowing out of this joke okay (laughs) that's fair enough okay let's move on to what we've been playing jacob what have you been playing Uh, i'm still playing everything i talked about last week playstation 5 uh has some of the little hiccups you'd imagine from a launch console but otherwise it is a pretty impressive machine uh so everything I talked about last week, still playing it, still deep in Demon Souls. Uh, that's been my most played game. But also, I played the Tetris Effect, which is a PlayStation Four game. Uh, but I finally got around to finally playing it on the PS Five, 
this is the new Tetris game from like a year or two ago. And the basic gist is that it takes the mechanics of Tetris and just puts it in the most pleasing, meditative, uh, visual and oral experience you can imagine. Especially if you play it with headphones. It is it transforms Tetris into something you can totally get lost in beyond just gameplay. It is beautiful. It sounds amazing. And it's just really hard to explain what makes it effective. It's all about uh, building out the tonal experience as you play. Like you start in a in, in an area just playing Tetris, which has some low-key music, maybe some sound effects. And then as you play, things get more intense. It gets faster. The music picks up. Vocals come in. The music lyrics come in. The visuals begin to... Um, go from you know subtle to psychedelic and each level feels completely different uh it is a very special thing uh it is it's proof that you know maybe video games peaked with tetris <laughs> and now all we're doing is finding new ways to uh re represent a, a genuine a genuine masterpiece of design uh so that's the tetris effect it's i got it for like 20 bucks on sale on the playstation store uh if you have a ps4 or a playstation 5 it, it's terrific uh, I also played Borderlands 3, which is a uh, first-person shooting game, uh, really built for cooperative play. It was a PS4 release, uh, but it was very glitchy and slow-loading, had framework issues on PS4. The PS5 release of it is the same game, but now it runs beautifully, as if uh, the technology of the game was pushing hard and breaking the PS4, whereas there's room for it to breathe in the PS5. And it, I've been playing this exclusively online with friends, uh, pandemic-related, of course, and it's the way to play it. I don't think I'll play it solo. I think we're going to save it entirely to be the game we play together to chat during while we play. And if you heard bad things about the PS4 version, uh, tech tech, uh, tech speaking, uh, PS5 version does not have those issues. And it's currently on sale for 20 bucks. At least it was when I bought it. So that's Borderlands 3. And finally, uh, guys, I've been doing the New York Times crossword puzzle every day uh, for about two weeks now. I even signed up for a year subscription. I do the mini ones and the full ones. And it's become my daily routine is uh, before I go to bed, I finish a crossword puzzle. Jacob. Uh, and, yeah. Oh, sorry. Continue. No, I no please, please. I, the New Yorker is here. I need, I need to hear your opinion on this. No, Jacob. Okay. This is a weird thing to admit, but I, my dream of adulthood, like what my vision of adulthood is every Sunday having coffee, doing the New York Times crossword puzzle. <laughs> it's, it's something really, that like, that's great. once I achieve that every Sunday, then I'll know I, I have become an adult. <laughs> Well, the app gives you a, a free trial, but then you got to pay for it after that. I paid the forty dollars for the year, and it's great. And yeah, it's it's forgiving. Like I'm not going to sit here and tell you that oh, I finished every puzzle effortlessly because I don't. I will bang my head against a puzzle until I've done everything I possibly can to figure it out. And then I'll turn on the auto check, which tells you if a letter in the box is incorrect. And I'll bang my head for as long as I can with the auto check on. And then only then will I start using Google to try to research my answers without actually looking up the answers, right? Like, for example, if it's a question about Arizona, I'll go look up Arizona stuff as opposed to, you know, Google the direct answer. And then only at the very, very end, when I completely failed, will I start, like, you know, trying to um, cheese it. I'm not perfect. Uh, but the process of trying to do it honestly and then rewarding myself after, like, as long as I need to um, figure out the answer has been really fun. And it's been really keeping me uh, feeling sharp, especially, you know, in a, as the day start to blend together, as you get deeper and deeper into quarantine. I'm finding the New York Times crossword puzzle to be a tremendous comfort. Uh, so PlayStation 5 and crossword puzzles have been have been my past week or so. And I recommend both. If, uh, unfortunately, PS5 is sold out pretty much everywhere, but you can download <laughs> the New York Times crossword app for free. Try it out, then choose to put money into it if you want to.
And if you have the New York Times crossword app, uh, there are daily minis that are uh, released every day for free, but I have already done all the other mini packs, so I might have to subscribe at this point. Uh, the minis are good, HD. I, I my, my new thing is I I take as much time as I possibly can with the big ones. I really luxuriate in them. Sometimes I'll take upwards of three hours. I'll have like take it on and off throughout the day and just poke at it. Uh, but the minis, if I can get one done in less than 30 seconds, that's my goal. I just it, did I, one I, in 47 seconds today. Congratulations. Wow. <laughs> yeah, the minis Wait, are, how big are these? The minis small. are like nine by, or five by five. So they're very small. Oh. Whereas the um wow. the Sundays uh, and the week and the dailies full ones are you know much much larger than that. Yeah. Okay, uh, Brad, I'm excited to hear about this. What what have you been playing? Uh, so I teased this last week, uh, and we ha- I have a full review of this on slashfilm.com, of course. Um, but I played Star Wars: Tales from the Galaxy's Edge uh, on the Oculus Quest Two uh, VR headset. Uh, I was lucky enough to have a headset sent to me from Oculus because I didn't have one and uh, wanted to check this out. So they hooked me up with that. And then ILM XLab gave us an invite to try out the game before it was released last Thursday. And uh, this was really, really cool. I previously talked about how I tried VR um, on your your headset, Peter, and played a couple games and uh, tested out Vader Immortal at Star Wars Celebration last year. Uh, but this was my first experience playing like a full VR game and uh, having it be Star Wars made it that much cooler. Um, so unlike Vader Immortal, yeah, which plays more like a like a short story where you get to do some things in and mess with a lightsaber. This has a much more uh, direct video game uh, experience. It's, it's a shooter. You're a droid repair technician. Uh, you work for Mubo, uh, who runs the Droid Depot uh, in Galaxy's Edge, the actual theme park land, Galaxy's Edge. Um, and while you're doing um, a, a cargo uh, transfer um, above Batu, uh, pirates attack from the Guavian Death Gang, uh, led by an alien named uh, Tara Ration. And uh, they try to hijack um, the droid parts and things that you have in cargo. But you let them loose, and they crash down to Batuu, uh, and you take an escape pod and land down there. And so then you have to deal with the uh, pirates who are all around the Batuu wilds. Um, so you don't actually go experience like a virtual walkthrough of Galaxy's Edge, the, the theme park land, because you, you can do that in real life. You, you do get to overlook part of it, of um, the place where the Millennium Falcon uh, is, is docked. But otherwise, you're experiencing places... Um, that you can't go to in Galaxy's Edge, stuff that lies on the outskirts where there are uh, various creatures and uh, droids that are trying to kill you and the Death Gang members who are lurking behind scattered pieces of cargo and behind rock formations and stuff. And so you basically are going through trying to to stop them and uh, you know gathering different items and uh, picking up weapons that your enemies drop along the way. And so it's uh, it's really fun. It it still um, has a little bit of clunkiness to it because, and I um, I haven't played enough VR games to to know for sure. But after talking to some other people who have played other VR games, it seems like some of the issues with how clunky the the movement can be from time to time is relegate um, relegated to this title only because there is some other smoother VR shooter games out there um, that are apparently a little bit more in, intuitive. Uh, but you, it's some of it is a learning curve. It takes a little bit of getting used to, so you, uh, how to use the controls um, and use them efficiently. And then, and uh, the game itself kind of has things that you have to figure out for yourself too. Like uh, in the game, I'm, I'm kind of uh, frugal with resources when it comes to games like this. 
but um, you have these training remotes, the, which are the, the little ball remote training droids, like the one Luke uses to train with a lightsaber in A New Hope. Um, and you can toss those up around you, and they will defend you from enemies by shooting laser blasts. One of them will seek out enemies and, sh- um, and shoot them, and they have a protective shield. And so you're supposed to toss those up pretty often to help with battle, because if you don't use those... Um, you're pretty much going to get killed pretty easily because there are enough Guavian Death Gang members that it's it's kind of hard to keep up with uh, switching weapons and when you run out of a charge and your blaster and stuff. Um, but it's in general, it's just a it, it's a fun experience. It's it's a very rudimentary gameplay, but putting it in VR makes it feel a little more uh, engaging because you you know are essentially experiencing it yourself in this 360 virtual environment and so uh when you run into characters like c-3po and r2d2 it feels cool because you're you know quote unquote there with them um and the same thing is said for the there's a side adventure um that is one of the quote unquote tales from the galaxy's edge because there's this character um named uh cecil slack who is a uh, big beefy azumel bartender uh six-eyed alien voiced by bobby moynihan but they've like dropped his voice down like to a bass level a couple octaves and uh he's a very funny character he has knows all sorts of things from around the universe tells stories and one of the things that uh he'll do is he tells you a tale um that is set during the time of the high republic the upcoming lucasfilm publishing initiative and it's a story of this Jedi Padawan named Adasun Z, uh, and how she goes to examine this Jedi temple that has been taken over by some kind of dark side uh, energy. And Yoda comes to to help her out with the situation. And so standing next to Yoda is pretty cool, especially because like you have to look down uh, at him. And it's uh, it it sounds silly, but it it, it feels kind of special because it, the VR adds that that immersive quality to it. You know, it's it's not the same as just seeing Yoda on a video game on your flat screen TV with a controller in your hand, you know, like you, you re- it really does, you know, put you there and make you feel like you're standing, uh, standing next to him. Uh, and so you get to do some, some lightsaber and force action in this one, not quite as extensive as Vader immortal. Um, but it's, uh, it's a fun side story that, that is, uh, significantly shorter than the, the main game. And there will be other future tales that they, um, they've talked about cause they're already working on a part two for the game. So, uh, in general, it's, it's really fun. You know, VR is still, kind of in the early stages of figuring itself out and really, um, you know, working on it as a, a medium and making it an effective, uh, you know, system for, for these kinds of experiences. But I think there's a lot of potential here, especially if you're a Star Wars fan. It's just a, a new way to experience it, especially if you, uh, you know, aren't currently able to go to Galaxy's Edge since one of them is closed and the other one uh, is in that, that hellscape known as Florida. <laughs> Uh, okay, very cool. I'm probably gonna have to try this. I, I only have the the first Oculus, but hopefully, it will play well on that. Uh, it worries me that it's more of a game because I like that Vader Immortal was kind of like a storytelling experience that I could just kind of like I don't want to say passively taken because I'm actively taking it in, but it's not like I'm really bad at video games. Brad <laughs> is what I'm basically saying. It's, it's, <laughs> it's not super difficult. Like I said, it's the controls take some time to get used to, and the the shooting can be a little bit um, like uh, challenging at times. But once once you get used to it, like it's it's pretty repetitive, and like as long as you, like I said, use your resources and whatnot, I think you'll you'll have some fun with it. Okay. That does it for today's Slash Film Daily. You can find more of all of our work at SlashFilm.com. You can find this podcast on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at Peter at SlashFilm.com. 
And please rate and read this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends, spread the word, and we'll see you on Friday. Peter. Peter. You know, you know, if Jacob, I was just about to bring this up. Like what, last what? week we asked people to to like, you know, write reviews for us on iTunes, and a bunch of people wrote some like lovely five-star reviews, some really like positive stuff. And it feels really good to 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 read all this. So I just wanted you wanted to thank everybody, right? That's why you why you were jumping in at the end here. Yeah, I, I really want to thank them. I read some of them; they're all very kind, and they said some nice things about all of us. And I've noticed over time, Peter, that many many listeners really enjoy hearing from the gargantuan book of insult, offense, and affrontery. Sharp retorts for posts, cost eclipse, in-play put downs by Louis A. Safian. But but we were recording this a few days before Thanksgiving. And I decided to let Louis A. Safian have the week off, you know, let him enjoy his turkey day uh, in the afterlife, probably in hell. Um, <laughs> and I have instead Googled funniest Thanksgiving jokes. Oh, God. Oh, no. So this is from HTTPS colon slash slash onlinefun.com slash Thanksgiving slash Thanksgiving, man. Not a good day to be my pants. Yuck. <laughs> wow. There's always something to be thankful for on Thanksgiving, even if it's just not being a turkey. <laughs> Help. This Unless must... you're Christmas turkey. True. Help. This is my first time cooking for Thanksgiving. The turkey's been in the oven for two hours, and it's still running around. What does, disappointed... Think... What does disappointed mama turkey tell her kids? If your father were to see you, he would be turning over in his gravy. Scientists create a six-legged turkey for families who fight over the drumsticks, but the turkeys escaped, and no one can catch them. It's not even a joke! <laughs> it's more like a film pitch or something. Yeah. Like an elevator pitch. I have a great idea for a movie. <laughs> My family always celebrates Thanksgiving with a fast. The faster we eat, the more food we get. Uh... <laughs> Why did the turkey play drums in his band? Because he already had drumsticks. Uh... I'm going to scroll all the way to the bottom. This is the, this is the, this is the least upvoted of the Thanksgiving jokes on <laughs> onlinefun.com slash Thanksgiving slash two slash. Call your dad now and ask him what the Wi-Fi password is so he has time to find a little paper written on for Thanksgiving. <laughs> that's that's not even a yeah. That's just genuinely good advice. <laughs> Celebrate Thanksgiving the American way. Spend the money you don't have on Chinese products. What? <laughs> what? This got dark. Whose uncle Frank wrote this website? <laughs> why did the why did the farmer run a steamroller over his potato field on Thanksgiving Day? He wanted to raise mashed potatoes. Mm. Uh, <laughs> uh, shall I keep going? No. no. We're, we're... Right. Yeah. Yeah, Happy right. Thanksgiving, everyone. <laughs> Should we laugh too hard? Our belts <laughs> shall break. You, you know what makes me happy about this, Jacob? Huh? Is because people aren't going to be celebrating Thanksgiving with their families this year, which is sad, I know, but that means that they also can't repeat these jokes. To them, so. It's a tragedy. so that makes me happy. Peter, no. Peter. <laughs> Humor is a fine cornerstone of American life. What is the American family without Louis A. Safian's influence like, worming its way into everyday life 
Letting you know your father-in-law how much he smells. Letting your grandmother know how close she is to death. Oh, my God. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Okay. I guess let's have happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs>